So last week we started a new series, When God Doesn't, and we're looking at a very interesting book. It's a book that, honestly, I don't think I've ever really heard many messages preached out of. I went to a uh, revival meeting at another church about 30 minutes away um, last fall, and the preacher was preaching out of Habakkuk, but he was mostly preaching out of chapter 3, which is really Habakkuk's prayer and just phenomenal messages concerning prayer. But I personally, I haven't heard many messages or series from Habakkuk, but as I've been studying, I've realized just how amazing of a book it is. And really, a lot of times when we go back to the Old Testament, the major prophets and the minor prophets, there is so much application for us today. And again, Habakkuk was written roughly 2,600 years ago. And really, it's a very modern day book because some of the, the, the struggles that Habakkuk has are struggles that you and I have as well. And really, as we looked at last week, as we introduced this series, Habakkuk is looking at the world around him and he's troubled. He's perplexed. He's confused. He's wondering what is going on and where is God during this time. And really, this book is a, at least the first chapter, a conversation between Habakkuk and God. And as he is just pouring out his heart to God and asking God questions, and we've all been there. We've asked God questions and we're waiting for the answer and we'll dive a little bit more into that aspect this morning. But let me ask you a question as we kind of start. Have you ever had expectations and they didn't turn out the way that you intended them to turn out? Anybody? Somebody like, yes, all the time. All the time. Now, I'm not going to go too much into this question time right now. We'll, we'll give a little bit more time during our EQ following the service to ask this question and answer this question. But uh, I think it's happened with all of us. You know, expectations aren't bad. Goals aren't bad. It's not bad to have goals. But the thing is that I've realized, and I think many of us realize, that sometimes our expectations and our goals don't always work out the way that we want them to work out or intend them to work out. So let's just put a scenario out there. Imagine... You planned a huge surprise, a huge birthday surprise for a friend of yours. You know, you, you paid no attention to detail, which means, I mean, you, you spared no attention to detail. You know, it was a very big thing, a very big event. Your friend loved it, and they got a lot of great gifts because of it. But then your big day comes around, and the favor is not returned. Anybody ever experienced something like that? Yeah. Now... Now, sometimes, now people do things like that for friends, and it's, it's truly, legitimately, I'm doing it, no strings attached, I'm not expecting anything in return. But I think all of us could say if we do something like that, something so extravagant, and we spare no attention to detail, and even money is no expense, it's not a big deal, we're going to, this is our friend, we love him, we're going to do it. I mean, there, there's part of us that's expecting something in return, in a sense, right? I mean, it's just, it's natural part of the human nature. So then your big day comes around, and I mean, you get nothing. You don't even get a card. <laughs> you know, you barely got a text late at night like, oh, happy birthday, by the way. Uh, how many would be disappointed, to say the least? Anybody? All right. Six of us that are honest. Very good. Uh, I think a lot of us would be disappointed because of the expectation that we had. Again, we don't necessarily do things for people expecting to get things in return, but you're expecting something. I mean, at least a card saying, happy birthday, friend, or hey, here's a gift card, or let's go out. So, you know, that, that's happened to us, or we've, we've maybe poured into someone, and you're assuming that they're going to do something for you sometime in your life, and they never do anything. And you get upset. So, the, the thing is that I'm, I'm trying to get to before we get to the message today is that, you know, this can cut pretty deep within some of us. 
You know, setting goals or expectations is what motivates us and excites us and makes us want to push ourselves to grow. But the reality is we can't expect others to change. We can't. Now, we can try to help them and change, and we can try to, you know, coerce them and teach them and equip them, but you can't control others. Has anybody learned how to control someone else? Anybody? If you have, then come on up here and let's, let's share our story. I, I don't think you have. No one has. Then the reality is you can't control someone else, but you can control your own actions, your own reactions to people. And the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes we have a list of expectations that don't often come true, don't meet what we assume should happen. And it's not just in life. Sometimes it happens with our relationship with God. We assume that God is going to do certain things, or we expect God to do certain things, and when God doesn't meet the expectations we have, it disappoints us, right? We get somewhat upset. Now, before I dive deeper into that point, you know, I just came up with a a quick common list of expectations that sometimes go awry. You know, think about it. Maybe you applied for your dream job, and they found someone more qualified than you. I mean, that's going to hurt. Maybe you ask God to heal you or someone close to you from a sickness or a disease, but they never got better. Maybe you poured your life savings into a business venture only to see it fail. Maybe you moved across country for a job, it didn't work out, and now you're unemployed again. Or, you know, this is a good one, maybe you plan to eat healthy, but then Monday comes, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Friday, and someone's birthday, and then it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? expectations. We all have them that go awry at times, and we've all had dreams dashed. We've all had plans that have been wrecked, and we've had moments of desperation calling and crying out to God. I came across a psychologist statement from Maryland, Dr. Selena Snow. She said, unrealistic expectations are potentially damaging because they set us and others up for failure. And here's the point of topic we're going to try to unpack today. What happens when God doesn't meet your expectations? Oh, it's never happened to me. Well, okay, then again, as I've said before, you're more spiritual than me, and you're more spiritual than most of us in this room. But the reality is there's times in all of our lives where God doesn't meet the expectations we have. Again, think about it in the situation of, you know, you poured your heart into something or you're applying for a job and God, you're, I believe you're going to give me this because I've been praying and I've been seeking you. I've been obeying you, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then you don't get that job or someone gets sick and you're praying and you're pouring your heart out to God and they don't get better. All of us have been there. Again, you've heard my story with losing our son. It's almost it's crazy. It's, you know, eight and a half years coming up on nine years, our firstborn son. My expectation was that God was going to heal Logan. But that didn't happen. Now, funny side note, I asked Nate the other day, I said, who is your least favorite sibling? He said, Noah. I said, who's your most favorite sibling? Logan. I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> Logan's in heaven, so I guess he's the favorite. Anyway, um, I was expecting it to go somewhere else, but it didn't. Uh, side note, you know, again, I and I, I know my wife, you know, we prayed expecting God to answer our prayers in the way that we prayed. That, hey, I'm praying, I'm pouring my heart out to you, God. I'm in ministry, I'm serving in Indiana as, as a, an associate and youth pastor and all these other positions. Okay, I'm doing what's right in my eyes and I believe what's right in, in God's eyes. And yet, okay, God's gonna answer my prayer. He's gonna answer my expectations and meet them. 
And yet, four and a half months later, he's dead. He's in heaven. My expectations of what God was going to do weren't met the way that I intended them or what I thought how they should be met. And that's what we're going to look at today. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12 through 17. Here's the main idea of what we're trying to uncover this morning. And again, this book, you know, even this message today, it's going to be incomplete because when you study this book, as many books, you have to study the entirety of it. And especially this book, just three chapters, you see that what, what happens in chapter 1 changes a little bit in chapter 2. And then Habakkuk's, everything about him, his attitude, changes completely in chapter 3 when he finally understands a little bit more about God, about his sovereignty, about his will, and about his ways. But the main idea is this, that Habakkuk is disappointed because God is not seeming to answering his prayers. But God's response indicates that unbeknownst to the prophet, he has already begun answering them. Though not according to Habakkuk's expectations. You see, God does answer our prayers, but it's not always the way that we intend or we believe he should answer. Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse number 6. Follow along with me if you would. The Bible says, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. Again, a lot of times when you read some of these Old Testament, the wording, it gets very confusing. But first and foremost, the Chaldeans, very, uh, it's just another name for the Babylonians, this Babylonian empire that had risen up. And again, as we talked about last week, they were a wicked and treacherous culture and generation and really uh, just some of the things that we had mentioned, just evil, just flat out evil. So verse six, for I raise up the Chaldeans, and this is kind of review quickly, that, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not there. So the first five verses, Habakkuk is calling out to God, God, you have to do something about this injustice, about all the turmoil in our land, about the sin of Judah. You have to do something. And God is answering him. He said, all right, I'm going to do something, but I'm going to use your enemy. <laughs> Again, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. I'm going to use this, this horrible nation, this horrible group of individuals to do something. Again, in fact, it's mine. What, what, that, that does not make sense, God. Verse 7, they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. Again, just talking about their ferocity. Again, all of this in, in Habakkuk's mind, it, it doesn't make sense. But let's get down to verse number 12. Art thou not from everlasting? So again, after... Now, I'm, I'm skipping a couple things in your notes. If, you wanna, if you're taking notes, I think the first thing I have as review, Habakkuk is asking this question of why is God so indifferent? Why is God so indifferent? Because in his mind, God is being indifferent towards him and towards the, 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 the problems, the sin that is going on around him. Now, God was going to answer his request, and he was going to punish the, the people of Judah and the nation that were sinning and living in sin, but he was going to punish them by using a godless nation, the Babylonians. And again, in Habakkuk's mind, why is God so indifferent towards my complaint, towards what I'm talking about? Again, these Babylonians, they treated their people like animals. They disgraced their enemies. They held their own lawless state. Their strength was their own God. They were very prideful, arrogant individuals. Now, 
I don't want to try to twist it a little bit today, but just imagine this. What if, what if, what if God was going to use a lawless group of people to punish his church that has gotten so far off mission today? How would you react to that? You think about terrorist organizations that are in the world, you know, even in America, you got like Antifa and things like that. What if God was saying, you know what, I'm going to use Antifa to get your attention? God, that doesn't make sense. Anybody with me on that one? Yeah. So that's the understanding here. For Habakkuk, the Babylonians? Seriously? Do you know what kind of people they are? And I mean, God is describing the kind of people they are. So for us, I'm going to use Antifa. I'm going to use, you know, extremist. Wait, what? God, don't you know what's going on in our own country? Don't you know the lawlessness that is, that is there? Again, Habakkuk is is vexed by the sinfulness in society around him, and rightly so. But here's where many Christians live today, and I've said this last week. We oftentimes are vexed, which means are upset or outraged at other people's sins. But how often are we vexed about our own sins? Again, God, don't you see what is going on in their lives? Don't you see their sin, their pride, their arrogancy? They need to be defeated, they need to be destroyed. But what if it's turned around? What about you? Let's not talk about me. Let's not talk about my sins. Let's talk about their sins, right? It's not about what I'm doing wrong. It's about what they're doing wrong. And they are evil. Again, we like to look at everyone else. It's the whole moat and the beam, right? We like to point out everyone else's problems. But oh, no, no, no. Let's not point out my problems. You know, for Habakkuk, God seemingly was silent. And rather than rejoicing over the break in silence, Habakkuk, he's praying another prayer of complaint to God in the next few verses. And this is where we're going to be today in verse 12 through 17. You know, he's already asked the question of why is God so indifferent? Now it's why is God so inconsistent? Verses 12 through 17. And that's what we're unpacking this morning. As far as Habakkuk is concerned, God's first answer really hadn't been an answer at all. You're using wicked Babylon to answer my request? Wait. That, that doesn't make sense, God. Why are you going to be so inconsistent? Look, God isn't supposed to be inconsistent, is he? God is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's, he's always the same. But Habakkuk needed to do something that we need to do, and he needed to learn to see the bigger picture, that God is God, we are not. God is sovereign, God is in control, God sees things that we don't see. So the question today is, what do you do when God doesn't live up to your expectations? How do you respond when the Lord doesn't answer the request with the answer that you wanted? Several years ago, pollster, Christian pollster George Barna asked Americans this question. If you could ask God one question and know that you would receive an answer, what would you ask? By far, the number one response was this. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? You know, it makes sense because... You know, we see suffering on every hand and we wonder where it comes from and why God allows it. C.S. Lewis remarked that the problem of suffering is atheism's greatest weapon against the Christian faith. You see, we've all been where Habakkuk is. We've prayed for God, thy will be done. But here's the reality. And this is where it's cut in my life as I've studied this over the past several, probably about a month or so now. We say we're praying, God, thy will be done. But in reality, here's what we're praying. God, my will be done. My will be done, God. 
I'm not, I, I know I'm saying thy will be done, but I really want my will to be done, right? I really want what my thought is to be answered in the way that it should be answered. But again, and I know it's, it's simple, but it's, it's reminding. We are the creation, not the creator. And we have to understand that as the creation, we don't understand everything. And, and here's, here's what we need to understand. Here's what we need to be reminded of. Maybe it's in your notes, maybe it's not, I can't remember. Your plan and God's plan are rarely the same. Your plan and God's plan are rarely the same. And in the last half of Habakkuk 1, the prophet is asking a series of questions that stems from this, you know, God, why are you being so inconsistent? It doesn't make sense. You know, Habakkuk is assuming that God is just ignoring Judah's sin. And he's thinking that there's no way God would use Babylon to judge Judah, but he's wrong on both accounts. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack three more questions within these five or six verses. From verse 12 through verse 1 of chapter number 2. So let's look at verse number 12. And here's the first question that we see Habakkuk asking. Who are you? Now, this is a rhetorical question. Rhetorical question is you already know what the answer is, right? Many of us have done that. We ask rhetorical questions, knowing what the answer is going to be, hoping maybe sometimes it's different. But the first question he's asking God is, who are you? Look at verse number 12. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? So really, he's asking this rhetorical question, and then he's answering the question. The next two questions we're going to look at, he's asking, and then he's hoping for an answer. This first one, he's actually answering himself. Who are you, God? Well, well, aren't you from everlasting to everlasting? Oh, Lord, my God, my holy one, we, we shall not die. I mean, you can't kill us, Lord. We're, we're your chosen people. Oh, Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And almighty oh, God, again, all these you know, superlatives, these adjectives describing God, thou hast established them for correction. You know, last week I asked the question, what do you do when God makes mo- no sense? And I think here's what it comes down to for most people. Two significant choices. Either you walk away from your faith when God makes no sense to you, or you turn closer to Him. And I've seen it both ways. I've seen people walk closer to God when things make no sense because, okay, it makes no sense to me, but it makes perfect sense to you. So I'm falling in your arms and I'm trusting in you. And then other people, you know what? It makes no sense. Forget you, God. Forget you, church. Everyone is just a bunch of hypocrites anyway. You know, again, I, I know that's what the world sees in the church sometimes, and it's true because. There are a bunch of people that have that sinful nature within them and, and they struggle with that. And again, hypocrisy runs deep. You know, I was talking to a, a lady the other day inviting her to church and, and, and she made a, a statement that really, it didn't shock me when she said it because it's true. She's like, you know, I've gone to a lot of churches around here in this area, I've tried out a lot of churches. And honestly, I, I really, it almost makes me not want to be a Christian because of the hypocrisy. And it didn't surprise me because I understand what she's saying. All you see in the church is backbiting and destroying and you know, tearing each other down instead of lifting each other up. So yeah, there is a bunch of hypocrisy. The Bible says one thing, you're supposed to you know, love one another and encourage one another. And yet that's almost the last thing that we do sometimes. Right? The Bible says you're supposed to have faith in God, you're supposed to trust in God. But all you have is a bunch of people that are anxious and worrisome and fearful and stressful. Again, there is hypocrisy because we're not taking God's word to heart and we're not actually doing what God's word tells us to do. 
So the two significant choices, either you walk away from your faith or you remind yourself of who God is, and that's what Habakkuk is doing. He is reminding himself of who God is. Amanda and I were having this conversation the other day, and she brought up a great point. She said, either you're, fo- you're going to focus on your father or you're going to focus on yourself. Talking about your heavenly father. You're going to focus on the one who brings contentment or you're going to focus on the one that brings contention, yourself. So that's the choice that we have today. And so many people that have been in church, that have been, that have been saved, they know what truth is. But yet we choose not to accept it. We choose not to follow it. So either when things make no sense, even when God makes, doesn't meet your expectations, you can choose to follow him in faith or you can choose to walk away. You can choose to trust your father, to focus on your father, or you can focus on yourself. And that's where many people are today. I'm going to focus on myself and all of the things that are going on in my life. You know, the pastor never reaches out to me, never does anything for me, blah, 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 blah. Again, that's probably true in a lot of areas. But again, as I preach God's word to you, I am giving you truth. And it's up to you to choose it or or reject it, right? To take what God is giving you. But nobody cares for me. Well, the reality is you're probably caring more about yourself and all you see is that nobody cares for you when in reality people do care for you. Making sense, isn't it? So either you're going to focus on yourself or you're going to focus on your creator. And listen, sometimes what we need is a good dose of theology that strengthens our faltering faith. And again, Habakkuk is asking these questions. And look at what Habakkuk calls God in verse number 12. I'm just going to run through them. He says, he calls God everlasting or eternal, which speaks of his sovereignty. He calls him Lord, which is basically saying that you are the personal God of Israel. God, he's saying that you are the creator and ruler, holy. You are in a class all by yourself, mighty. You are our rock, our defense, our safety. Now, this is significant. As Habakkuk is struggling with God, not meeting his expectations, He goes back to what he knows to be true about God. And this is where I think many of us need to start. To go back to what is true about God. What we know is true about God. And what we find is true about God is found in his word. Dr. Ray Pritchard, a preacher, he said this. If you remove God's sovereignty, you will forever question his wisdom. And that's where I think many of us start. And there's more to it. But I think many of us have removed God's sovereignty. The fact that he is in control of all things. And when we remove that facet, that asset of God, what we're doing is removing God's wisdom. He continues, if you remove God's love, you will forever question his faithfulness. If you remove God's majesty, you will forever question his power. If you remove God's holiness, you will forever question his fairness. If you remove God's protection, you will forever question his goodness. You know, again, we sing songs, oh, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. But yet, we don't even live like that. We don't even live like God is truly good because he hasn't answered the way that we think he should answer. And the question that Habakkuk is struggling with is this. It's not a matter of do I believe in God, but what sort of God do I believe in? God is eternal, which means he's everlasting. And here's the truth. Habakkuk is struggling to reconcile his theology of God with the word of God that has just been revealed to him by the mouth of God. And what he is realizing is that faith is a choice. Habakkuk is trying to wrap his mind around a confusing situation. The God of Israel is going to employ Babylon to judge his people. So the first question, who are you? 
rhetorical nature. He answers it himself. Verse 13 moves us to the next question. And I know this question has come from the mouth of many of our lips. The question is this. How could you? He's asked the question, who are you? Now he's asking the question, how could you? Because I look at my own life, again, especially with Logan, that was the question I ask how often. God, how could you? How could you take my son? How could you, when I am serving you, when I am loyal to you, when I am faithful to you, when my self-righteousness is just expounding, Lord, how could you? Maybe you haven't, but truthfully, I have. You know, at the end of verse number 12, Habakkuk refers to God as the mighty rock, or the mighty God, or a better way to understand is basically calling God a a rock. It's illustrating the firm foundation he has in God. And because of God's holiness, Habakkuk still can't make sense of it all. God, how could you use the Babylonians? Again, let's put it in our own terminology. Imagine, God, how could you use Antifa to judge the church? Why would you do that? I mean, yeah, Judah has their problems. I mean, not, we're, we're not like, you know, free from sin and this and that. But seriously, we're nothing like them, right? So put it in our terminology for us today. You know, I'm not an extremist. Imagine if God were to do that today. Imagine if God were to use a group like Antifa or any other group of extremists to judge his church today. Imagine, and just Imagine. I know it's hard, to, it's hard to comprehend, but many of us would, would really question God, wouldn't we? That's what Habakkuk is dealing with. Because that would make absolutely no sense to us. Because in our minds, we know the truth and we know what kind of people they are. They're a horrible, wicked group of individuals. God should destroy them because they go against the very nature of God. But God hasn't fully revealed all of his plans to Habakkuk. And again, sometimes only what we see is what part of the picture, right? We see what's in front of us. And what's in front of us does not make sense, but God sees the whole picture. And for him, hey, it makes perfect sense, but just wait. So the question of how could you? You know, the Jews claim to know the Lord, the God of Israel, but yet they were sinning against the very law they claimed to believe. Honestly, this series... It is cut deep into my own heart and my own life. You know, here's the truth. Sin in the life of a believer is far worse than sin in the life of an unbeliever. Because we know what we're supposed to do. We know what God's word says. And yet often we choose not to do it. And Habakkuk is passionately objecting, God, how can you do this? And that's the key to this whole book, church. It's a dialogue between a frustrated man of faith and a God whose ways he cannot understand. But listen, the issue is not Judah and her sin. The issue is not even Babylon and her evil. The issue is not even Habakkuk's doubts. You see, the issue that Habakkuk is struggling with is the same issue that all of us struggle with. It's always has been, always will be. The issue is God. The issue always is God. You see, this is where the rubber meets the road for us. We all have questions, and the questions eventually lead us back to God because He's the only one that can answer them. And it, it gets to the reality of something hard for us to grasp that 
We know it, but we don't understand it in the, in the sense of we don't actually live it, that God is God and we are not. Oh, I know that. I mean, I learned that in Sunday school as a little kid. I know God is God and I'm not God. But we don't live like that. So, in reality, we're just saying things that we don't believe in. You know, parents are good at that. We get on our kids for how they're acting, and yet we are no different. And, and sometimes, you know, it's happened with us, and I'm sure it's happened with you. Don't you love it when your kids call you out for your sins? Because they see your hypocrisy? But mom, but dad, you're not even doing that. Why would I have to do that? Shut up! <laughs> Listen to me! <laughs> don't question my authority. Go to your room! <laughs> You're in trouble. But they see it. They see our hypocrisy. And God sees our hypocrisy. You know, I can't even begin to fathom, honestly, God's awesomeness. And I often question God sometimes because, to me, God makes absolutely no sense. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens and He does whatever pleases Him. Because God's going to do what He knows is right. Not what we think he should do. Again, God has never consulted me like, hey, Chris, what do you think I should do in this situation? He just hasn't. And we consult others and we need to have counselors in our life to help us, but God never counsels with us. Hey, what do you think I should do in this situation with the world? Because he's going to do whatever he wants because he is God. He is eternal. And again, it's hard to understand too. He's never had a beginning. He's never had an end. He's always existed. So this leads to the third question. More than who are you or how could you? Here's the third question that Habakkuk is asking in the first or the next couple of verses of chapter one. And again, it's a question that we've asked at different facets of our life. Is this ever going to end? Is this ever going to end? Is my trial ever going to end, God? Is what's going on in America? Is it ever going to end? Are we ever going to get out of debt? No, we're not. <laughs> just, just throw it out there, just in case you were worried. We're not. It's, it's impossible. But in verse 14, look, let's continue on. And make us men as the fishes of the sea. So then God is going to, again, or, you know, talk to him and help him understand some things. As the creeping things that have no, no ruler over them. So basically, here's what verse 14 is saying. All the nations compared to Babylon, were like fish in their net, just waiting to be slaughtered without mercy. And now Judah is next on their bucket list. Verse 15, they take up all of them with the angle. So he's going to use the, the fish metaphor here. They catch them in their net. They gather them and they're dragged. They're, therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice unto their net and burn incense unto their drag because by... Them, their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore, again, this is Habakkuk. I think it was God, it's Habakkuk. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? God, is this ever going to end? How long is this going to last? Here's the reality. Most people can, you know, sign up for trouble or stay in trouble if they know there's a specific end point, right? Okay, well, I understand I'm probably going to go through some difficulty in my life, but it's going to end in one week, so I can endure that, right? You know, we do challenges, and like, okay, I can do a challenge if it's only going to last like a day, so I got that. I can go on a diet for a day. I can do that. I mean, I got that. But you think about our life, 
God doesn't often say, all right, this challenge is going to go on for six days and three hours. We don't know how long it's going to last. So in our mind, what if, what if it never ends? How are we going to survive? Look, we've all experienced Habakkuk's questions. Who are you, God? It was rhetorical for him, and he had to go back to the very nature and essence of who God is and you know, kind of talk himself into that. But then, God, how could you? How could you do this? How could you use them? God, is this ever going to end? You see, here's the reality. Our problems in America and in our church go far deeper than systematic racism. They go far deeper than philosophical or sociological. They go far deeper than psychological or even political. Our problems at their very core are often theological. It all goes back to God. Who is God? Can he be trusted? And this leads to chapter 2, verse 1, where we're going to stop here in a few minutes. And again, we'll pick it up next week or else we'll be here for a lot longer. But notice what we see is Habakkuk's decision, verse number 1, in your notes there. He says in verse number 1, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So he's basically saying, you know what, God? All right, I'm just going to go back there and just stand watch and just wait for you to answer. It's almost like he's kind of throwing his arms up at God, like, all right, God, go ahead. Go ahead, prove yourself to me. You know, this kind of goes with what we talked about last week with the application. What Habakkuk has been doing is, first and foremost, he's poured his heart out to God. And that's something we need to learn to do, is to pour our heart out to God. The second thing we need to learn to do, as Habakkuk is learning, is to learn to see the bigger picture. That we're not in charge, we're not in control, all we see is what's in front of us, and we need to see things through God's viewpoint, through a heavenly lens and not an earthly lens. But then this leads to the third point today, and really, this is where we'll stop and this is where we'll pick up next week. What Habakkuk, his decision, and what it's going to lead to is what we need to understand is that we must wait for God's answer. Anybody like waiting? Didn't think so. Thank you. I don't think anybody in here likes waiting. You know, you, <clears throat> no matter where it is, you go to the waiting room at a <clears throat> doctor's office, a hospital, and you're just kind of like, you know, come on, let's go. You go to the airport, you know, you, come on, let's go. I'm ready. You know, I, I'm, I'm ready to, to fly. I'm ready to do this. We don't like to wait. We want things done in our timetable when, when we are ready. But again, God's plans and our plans don't always match up. Sometimes they're rarely even the same. And what Habakkuk needed to do is what we need to do is to just Wait. Wait for God to answer. And again, this is the part that most of us don't like because in our mind, we throw out our petition to God, our request. All right, I'm going to sit back, kind of like a back. I'm going to sit back and I'll, I'll dive into this next week a little bit more. 
All right, I'm going to sit back and just wait for you, Lord. All right, it's been five seconds. Where's the answer? Right? I mean, God, it's been three days. Still haven't heard yet. Are you up there? Are you hearing me? I mean, is the connection good? What, what's going on? You see, this is Habakkuk's decision. He is resolving to wait for God's answer. And it's as if he is sitting with his arms folded and, you know, just kind of, all right, God, go ahead. Prove yourself to me. But this scenario raises a question. What are we to think when God does something beyond comprehension? You know, this is something of a wisdom problem for Habakkuk. Surely God had a greater purpose in all this stuff. Surely he's going to do something that will eventually make sense. You know, most of all, we have to decide in our waiting to realize that, okay, waiting, I don't like it, but there's a reason for it. There's a reason why I have to wait on God. Because, again, it goes back to those fundamental principles that I'm not God, He is. A.W. Tozer once said that God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which He must work. You know, we put deadlines in our lives and we put deadlines on God. All right, God, you have three days to answer me. If you don't, I guess I'll just make my own decision. But waiting on God, I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow your minds. It means waiting. Until He gives you the answer. But what do we do? It's been a couple days. I'm just going to go. So what do we do? We force the answer. Anybody ever done that? Yep. Many times over I have. I have forced the answer because I was tired of waiting. But again, in the Bible, when you see this over and over, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, you know, wait. So many passages that talk about waiting on God. I was kind of looking up, doing just a quick little verse study on that last night. There's so many great passages talking about waiting on God. But never in there does it say, wait on God for this amount of time. Wait on God for one week, and after one week, you can do whatever you want. No, wait on God means to wait until God answers. And here's the key truth, and then I have a couple last things to say. You see, we have to learn to let go of our expectations of how God should work. But again, we all have expectations of what we assume God should do. And what I'm trying to get us to understand in this passage, and as we continue on, and it's going to make even so much more sense as we can get to chapter 2 and then later in chapter 3, but we have to learn to let go of our expectations of how God should work in this world or how He should answer our prayers. He is God, so we have to trust in His sovereignty. We have to trust in the fact that He is in control, that He is not going to do something that in the long run is going to just hurt us. Everything he does is to try to grow us, to try to prepare us, to make us closer to him. And, and, and here's where it comes down to. It, it, it's not in your notes, but just a little extra as we close. If God wants us to wait, there has to be a reason. And, and really, here's kind of what I came up with. First of all, I think he is preparing us for what's coming so that we can experience true growth. God has a reason for our waiting because He is preparing us for what's coming so we can experience true growth. 
But most people never experience the growth that they need because they won't wait long enough. And then on our spiritual growth journey, you know, we're kind of wandering around, you know, I kind of equate it to, you know, going up a mountaintop. You know, there, there's the pathway that's, you know, steep and you're, you know, the, the ascent is, is steep and you're climbing up in your spiritual journey. And then you got other people that are just kind of meandering along the trail, you know, slowly going up there. And what happens sometimes is someone that is really climbing in their spiritual journey, they're not looking down and like, man, a bunch of losers. It's usually the people down here, it's like, what are you doing? You think you're so much better than us? No. person up here is like, hey, you're missing out. Because I'm seeing a different perspective. And honestly, I think a lot of us would say, no, I'm, I'm here. But I think the reality is most of us are here. So our waiting is to prepare us for what's coming. So that we can experience true growth. Again, it goes with our identity, understanding who we are. There's that losing in order to find so that we can flourish. God wants us to flourish in our Christian life. That's what I'm talking about in our, our podcast, the weekly podcast on Monday mornings, to, or Monday afternoons, to, to help us understand what it means to flourish in our Christian life. God wants us to flourish. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to, to understand what the Christian life is all about. But sometimes God uses the waiting period to move us closer to Him. But the question for Habakkuk and the question for us today is, will you wait on the Lord? Will you trust in His sovereignty? Will you let go of your expectations of what you think God should do? You see, what Habakkuk is going to relearn for us is this. God is worth the wait. God is worth the wait. But we have to make that decision to say, God, I am going to wait. I know I'm struggling with my circumstances, and a lot of it's because of my own fault, my own stupidity, my own selfish ambitions and agenda, and thinking no one else cares about me when I'm really just caring about myself. God, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to trust you. And again, that's what we're going to unpack a little bit more next week. I'm going to trust that you know what's best, that you're in control. And here's the amazing truth again. What we will see and what we'll discover is Habakkuk will discover at the end of chapter 3. God's worth the wait. And in a sense, he'll blow your mind of what he's going to do. So when things don't make sense, when God doesn't meet your expectations, pour your heart out to God, yes. Learn to see the bigger picture, but most importantly, and I know it's kind of a different way to end the message, but just learn to wait on God. Learn to wait on his timing. Quit forcing things. Quit pushing your agenda. Quit pushing your sin into the equation. All right, God, where you at? I'm serving you even though I'm still living for myself. So the question I end, will you wait? Will you wait on the Lord and trust in His sovereignty and let go of your expectations of how you think He should act, He should answer? Let's pray.